I want to show you, just before we, uh, before we go into the study for tonight, I want to show you some slides that I had actually downloaded from the Internet that go along with what we are studying from the book of Daniel. And so if you go ahead and start showing some of these. I mentioned this morning that uh, uh, what we're dealing with is the Babylonian Empire and, that, and the rich heritage of the Babylonian Empire. And here's some pictures that will actually help you to get an idea of it. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Actually, some information I hadn't given this morning, but Nebuchadnezzar was not yet the king of Babylon when he came and took Daniel and destroyed Jerusalem. He, uh, he came in the summer of the year 605 B.C., 605 years before the time of Christ. And uh, so he came during the summer. Daniel and some people were taken into captivity. And Nebuchadnezzar had to take a quick trip. He didn't stay and really set up all of the vassal territories that he would like. He had to go back because his father, Nabopolassar um, II, who was really the first king of Babylon, the king who had thrown off Assyrian control. By the way, uh, go back to that a little bit. Go back to that map. Um, whoop, way back, sorry. Going back to this, you have, you, have the, the Assyria, uh, you have Syria and you have the southern portion of, of, uh, of this whole Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is the land between the rivers, if you remember that from school days. So the land between the rivers, you have the Tigris, and the Euphrates rivers. And so any of this area up in here is going to be more fertile. You get down into here and you have desert. Modern country of Iraq is all this area. And so when we came in from Kuwait, which I somewhere right through here. By the way, you've probably seen this map a lot recently because it just talks about all the different places. It has a lot of arrows coming into this area and little soldiers here. Well, this is where we went in. We we came, in through, uh, we came in through this desert region and came into the more fertile area of Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia, including Ur, is the cradle of civilization. This is where um, the Tower of Babel was. Ur is where Abraham was actually born. And so when Abraham left Ur with his father, they went to Haran, which was a partial move. And then they continued over into Palestine or into into uh, the Canaanite region where Abraham settled and that, that became the promised land. Well, Abraham, rather than taking children from here, Abraham said, for my son, I desire that you, would, uh, your, you, my servant, would go back. And so he sent him back to the region of Mesopotamia, this southern area. And this southern area is called Shinar in the Bible. Um, when the Bible talks about Amraphel, uh, the king of Shinar, Amraphel of Shinar was a contemporary of Abraham. They lived at the same time, about 1,800 years before the time of Christ. And they lived, he lived in this area. That's Hammurabi. And so when you talk about the Hammurabi code and stuff like that, he is in this area. And I'm going to show you a picture of Hammurabi in just a moment. But Hammurabi and Abraham from, were from this region. He sent his servant all the way back over here to find Rebekah. And so then Rebekah came over, they had children, and then Jacob and Esau were born. You remember Jacob had to run for his life. When he ran for his life, he ran to, a name, uh, to an area called Paden Aram. Paden Aram is another name for this whole region of Mesopotamia. Okay, So he came right back here. He came back to his uncle's, Uncle Laban. He came to his house and he takes two of his wives, Leah and Rachel, and then all of his children were born in this area. So you're talking about an area here that is very significant for biblical uh, history. Well, Daniel was living in Jerusalem. This man had come, Nebuchadnezzar came from this area, and he conquered uh, Jerusalem. 
The way that he came into Jerusalem is he actually was able to defeat the Egyptians. You have two competing world empires. You have the people from Egypt, you have the people from Babylon, and there seems to be battle back and forth as to who's in actual control of this whole Middle Eastern portion. Egypt had been in control over all of this, and they were trying to conquer the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar, taking the leadership of the armies for his, for his father, Nebuchadnezzar was able to defeat the Egyptians at the city Carchemish. And having defeated the Egyptians, annihilating them, actually, he was able then to continue on and take control over all of this region of the Middle East. That's where he went to Jerusalem and carried off Daniel. The reason I was kind of getting into that, I'm sorry if this is a little confusing, but this southern portion is what we find in the Bible called Shinar. The northern section up here is more of what is commonly known as Assyria. This is where uh, Nineveh would be a little bit further north. Though it's not on this map, Nineveh would be a little bit fur- further. You remember Jonah had, had hated the people of Nineveh and he didn't want to go save them because, well, they were brutal kind of people. They're brutal because they're Assyrians or even more ancient than the term Assyria would be the, the name Acadia. If you have ever heard of the Acadians, that's the northern section that is up here. Well, Assyria was a dominant force from the north. Egypt was a dominant force from the south. Nabopolazar, the father, took care of the north. He defeated the Assyrians and he destroyed Nineveh in 611, we believe. Six years later is when Nebuchadnezzar came. Nebuchadnezzar came in the summer of 605. He had to immediately leave because in the fall of 605, Nebopolazar, his father, passed away. And he was made the king later that fall. And so, you know, there's all kinds of interesting heritage and, and interesting information about this. But that's the general map. That's the area that we're talking about. This area, Babylon, is, uh, is destroyed according to what the scripture says. It would be destroyed and it would never be rebuilt. It still, even to this day, hasn't been rebuilt. I mean, there are just ruins around Babylon now. But here's some pictures so you get an idea of what Babylon was like. This would be uh, the Tigris River. And so you see how, the, how fertile it is around the actual river. Though you're talking about a desert, hot area, it's fertile and there's lots of trees and there's plants and everything around the river. What they would do is that even 4,000 years ago, they were building canals from the river out so that they would be able to, uh, so they'd be able to transfer water and actually expand their fer- fertile area where they could grow stuff. So you're talking about a very developed people. It's not like uh, they were throwing rocks at each other. These people knew how to build canals. Also, they were using ships to travel up and down of those rivers and for merchant, you know, to carry their merchandise and stuff. And so they were very, very developed, you know, thousands of years ago. Keep continuing. This here is cuneiform. I'm not even sure if that's the exact right way to say it, but cuneiform, as you, most of you know, are, are the ways that they wrote Cuneiform tablets have been dated back to 3500 B.C. Folks, you're talking about almost the time of creation. You're going back to where it is the very first thing. This is the area where they were learning to write the very, on the first tablets. And they didn't have papyrus to write on. They weren't using leather. They were using clay tablets. And so someone, tell me as a student, a child, what's the difference between paper if you were to write on paper and write on a tablet like that, which do you think would last longer? Does anyone have a pretty good idea? Which would last longer? The tablet's going to last a lot longer, isn't it? And that's exactly what's happened. The tablets have remained for all of these thousands of years 
And so we were able to, to learn an awful lot about the heritage and history of these people because of these kind of tablets that are found. Really, these are found all over the world. They find these kind of tablets uh, in Egypt. They find them all over the world because these people were involved all over the world. Most of them were legal kind of forms. A lot of them were economic kind of contracts that people had entered into. So again, you're not talking simple-minded folks. You're talking about a complex culture and a, and a developed uh, empire. Next picture. Does anyone know what this is? What is it, Jonathan? Generally. Okay. This would be an idea kind of along the lines of the Tower of Babel. This is a ziggurat, if you ever heard that term. Ziggurats were some of the most um, complex architectural buildings at the time. These were usually temples to some sort of God. This one here, I believe, if I recall correctly, is 75 feet high. You're talking 75, it's pretty, pretty tall. And they had the ability of building these. Usually they would come in kind of platform levels. So you have one platform and then you have another and another. And they would be seven, eight platforms. They, they varied. But these were common. Tower of Babel was one of this kind of building, although uh, I don't think that we, we, we don't have that. And so they're building, rebuilding these kind of things. And here again, this is part of what uh, um, historians are a little bit concerned about in Iraq. Is they're saying, oh, all of this historical stuff is being ruined by bombs and stuff like that. Listen, we have taken such, an, such incredible care that we, we can bomb buildings next to museums without even affecting the museums. That's just how careful our people have been. And so certainly there are, there's damage that occurs but it's incidental, it can be repaired, and you know, it's really kind of amazing what has happened. Besides the fact, consider this. Thousands of years, how many wars have been going on in this part of the world? There's a war in this part of the world every couple of years. I mean, it's constant. After, before, you had the Babylonian Empire, you had the Akkadian Empire, and they had controlled that whole region. Then you have the ancient Babylonian Empire. From there, you would have the Egyptians that would come in. And then you have the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which was Nebuchadnezzar. After Nebuchadnezzar, you have the Persians who came in and annihilated them and took over, destroyed the city of Babylon. After the Persians, who came next? Alexander the Great. He came in and annihilated and destroyed it. Soon, you know, after, after the time of Christ, the Islamic people came in and destroyed it. This place was always a hotbed for wars and battles. And so... It's just, just another one. And so liberals kind of wake up, smell the, smell the coffee, and uh, realize this is what the region is about. It's a, it's a desired, necessary place. And because of that, it's going to constantly have battles. Go ahead. This is a picture of Hammurabi. I don't know how, uh, you know, it's obviously not digital, uh, di- what do you call that? Digital quality. Uh, it'd be more of a carving, but it's an idea. Here's a man. This man lived at about the same time, and so this would have been done about the same time as Abraham was on the earth. Approximately 2,000 years before the time of Christ. Go ahead, next one. This, though it is not a clear picture and is difficult to see, this is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, as an ancient picture, you'll notice that he's in a chariot. Because there were so many wars in the area, they learned to develop uh, the art of war, including building elaborate walls. Babylon had an 85-foot wide wall. Bill was telling me that Josephus described that wall as being able at the very top of the wall. 
And the wall, I'm trying to remember how high it was. I believe that it was 300 feet high. I mean, you're talking about an incredibly high. 57 miles in length around the city. So it's huge. And at the top, they were able to take chariots such as this, although this one is not exactly what they had, but they were able to take those chariots four side by side and be able to take them around the top of the wall to, to defeat it. Babylon would have never been defeated through the walls. And so when it finally was defeated by the Persians, someone would remind us how exactly did they get in. How, and how did they get under it? Does anyone remember? They diverted the river so the water didn't come and then they were able to go right down under. Man, should have thought of that. Could have built bars or something in the water. Anyway, they didn't think of that. But that's why they set up these kind of things uh, to defend themselves. This would be some of the ruins of Babylon. These, are, I say, are some of the ruins of Babylon. All of these bricks that were established, you're talking about great um, technology that they would last this long. Um, nine out of ten of these bricks that are found in the ancient area where Babylon was destroyed or in the ruins of Babylon, nine out of ten are stamped with made by Nebuchadnezzar the Great. And so Nebuchadnezzar had his name over everything. That's why when you find in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar stands up and says, look at this great Babylon that I have built. He wasn't lying. He had built it. He had built the whole place. And yet he had nothing to gloat of because the Lord, sure enough, humbled him as we'll discover later on. Not only do you have all of this region, but as Bill was describing uh, to me before when we were talking about it, Pastor Whitey, um, after Babylon was destroyed, people came from all over the world to take these bricks because they were so well built and so well manufactured. And so they would take the bricks to go build their cities and towns. And so in the region of Mesopotamia, and the ruins that are in Mesopotamia, 19 out of 20 of the bricks that are found in that region are marked with the same markings built by Nebuchadnezzar. Because a lot of the people took those blocks and built other uh, Houses and cities and little structures. So, incredible. This is, this is a um, caricature of the hanging gardens of Babylon. Uh, the, Nebuchadnezzar apparently built these hanging gardens that were one of the seven wonders of the world according to the ancient Greeks. Uh, we haven't seen them. They were destroyed, and so we have no idea what they were really like. We have some, you know, some ideas, but this would just be some sort of uh, sketch. This would be the idea of what it was. See, you'll notice that here is the river. 75 feet above the river is where the gardens begin. And so, in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, 600 years before the time of Christ, they had established some civil engineering to the point that they were able, through mechanical means of some sort, they were able to pump water up to the top and then use that water to water all of the rest of that garden. My understanding is that the reason that this was built is because uh, Nebuchadnezzar had married a, a, a lady who was fur from further in the north, an Assyrian princess. So this was kind of a way of bringing peace between the Akkadians in the north and, uh, and the south. And so she came down. She says, man, it's kind of dry down here. I don't like this climate. It's nothing like home. And so he built this in order for her to feel a little bit more at home. Now, the guy did have some brains to him, didn't he? He may not have taken care of the, you know, 
the hole in the river, but at least he took care of his wife. And so he anticipated these kind of things. Anyway, you're talking about one of the wonders of the world. You're talking about an incredible empire, incredible dynasty. Is there anything else? No, that is it. Does anyone have any questions about Babylon? Just this gives you an idea of how you can read and understand, uh, understand the book of Daniel. And it really gives you a, truly a different insight into what we were talking about this morning. We were talking about how that this huge, vast ocean of the Babylonian Empire is going to be impacted by a little pebble, Daniel. All of what we had just seen, God used one man who knew him because he knew God. He was strong and carried out great exploits. Daniel became third in command over all of this Babylonian Empire. That's the incredible power that he had. He said later on, he says, you would be behind Belshazzar and, he, and Belshazzar is the only one who's greater than you. Well, he said, isn't that second in command? No, because Belshazzar actually was the son of the king. So you have the king who was away. Belshazzar, as his son, was acting as the king in Babylon. And then he said, under him, under Belshazzar, then you have me. You have uh, Daniel. And so Daniel becomes third in command. The Lord used him so that they would be edicts that said, worship only the Lord God of heaven, the God of Daniel, the, God, you know, the one true God. Amazing how that God used one man who knew him, who loved and trusted and obeyed him. The Lord used one man to have that kind of impact on, on an incredible culture, an incredible civilization. Any questions or any thoughts about that? Reading Daniel, get a better idea of what it is that we're reading, especially reading those first Six, uh, the first six chapters. And I'd encourage you to do that as a family. I'd encourage you, to, encourage you to do it individually. Especially right now, read those first six chapters, which are some of the narratives and the biography, frankly, the easier reading. Later on, we'll study the prophecies, and I'll encourage you to read those as well, chapters 7 through 12. But right now, chapters 1 through 6, really focus on those and get an idea of, of who God is according to those passages. All right?